Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. I was reading an article this morning um, called Proof of Christianity's Supremacy Just Misses the Point. And I won't say the author's name. It's not really important. Um, But I wanted to read you something out of the article because... We talked in this class about um, the difference between righteous anger and anger that's just making us anger, like um, anger that somehow prompted our flesh or our defenses. But righteous anger is an anger that is out of a love for God and out of a love for His Word, out of a love for His people, out of a out of the love of God. And that's how I tell the difference in my life. You know, between is it am I righteously angry? Or am I just, you know, angry in the sense of what I shouldn't be angry about? And um, and so we talked about provoked anger and righteous anger. And as I was reading this article, um, I was really angry. I am really angry. <laughs> and it's definitely righteous anger. And I want to tell you why. I'm only going to read a, a little bit, a little tiny bit of it. But this is a direct quote from what this person wrote in the Sunday paper. You don't have to accept the literal truth of the virgin birth or Jesus' bodily ascension after death or his physical appearance to the disciples or his feeding of the 5,000 with the five loaves or any of the other fabulous stories in the Bible from Jonah to the whale to the plagues of locusts and frogs to be a believer. To this contrary... To the contrary, to cling to such factual readings is to embrace an immature nursery school kind of faith. And, I mean, I don't know whether God will prompt me to write the newspaper. I'm not going to write an article out of anger, but I think I would write Dear Express News. I have an immature nursery school view of faith because the Bible is inerrant. The Bible is God's Word. And I wanted to just read you something that God said about this that's pretty serious. But it's something that's always stuck with me. Because it is easier sometimes to think, oh, you know, that couldn't have happened or that couldn't have happened. Well, there were so many things that I could tell you about in the hospital that God did for me when I was given a couple of weeks to live that couldn't have happened. There's so many things that have happened in all of our lives sitting here today that are of God that couldn't have happened. And so we need to make sure that we don't add or subtract from God's Word, that we don't say things like, well, I believe in Jesus, but I think he was a liar. Well, that's what we're saying when we say he's not the only way to God because Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So when you say he's, he's um, not the only way to God, then we say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in anything he says. I think he was just kind of a nice guy. And I think that that's so dangerous. And the reason it makes me angry is not, not at the person. Ephesians 6.10 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I heard someone say one time, if you're mad at somebody, you know, if you're wrestling with somebody that has a social security number, you're wrestling with the wrong thing. In other words... We don't wrestle against humans. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But the Bible says against principalities and powers and dark forces of wickedness in heavenly places. This is spiritual. 
But for someone to write that, it leads other people to say, gosh, she's such a good writer. She's such an authority. I like the way she sounds, and maybe she's right. You know, she says she's a Christian, and she very well may be. But I wanted to read you God's commentary. This is the last one, two, three, four verses of the entire Bible. The last four. Revelations 22, 18 through 21, and then the book is done. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. And I just wanted to share that this morning, not only because it really makes me angry, um, but because I think it's a good example of the things that we can be angry about. And you may be here this morning thinking, well, I think I might be one of those people that's not sure if all of these stories are real in the Bible. And that's not a commentary or a condemnation of you. But I pray in this class that if something does stir you up or make you wonder, that's good. You know, I'm not here for you to like me and agree with everything I say. And I'm not inerrant. The word is inerrant. But I would love for you to say, gosh, I think, I don't know. Now I need to really dig. I need to start reading the Bible and seeing what the Holy Spirit's really speaking to me. That would make me so happy. Not that we all agree upon everything in this class. If you'll turn to page five of your worksheet, we're going to go ahead and start again on our series, um, continuing our series in love on love is not easily angered. And we left off on page five and we actually left off on um, number three, stored anger. Um, So here is where we left off last time. And we were going to start discussing that Jesus's Anger was a righteous anger, like we talked about at the beginning of class. But I wanted to look at, you know, we looked at when he was righteously angered when the temple was being desecrated. And that's that's because that's God's house. And we can be righteously angry when God's word is being desecrated. We can be righteously angry when a child is being hurt, because that's God's child. We can be righteously angered when it's out of a love for God and his word and his ways. And yet... We also know that people can also try to provoke us. And so I wanted to look at, since he's the best example of, of anyone, um, representative of God and yet fully human so that he understands all of our frailties. I love that, that Hebrews explains again that God, Jesus, came as a man and experienced all the same temptation and understands every human frailty because we forget. We think, you know, God's up there and Jesus is up there and I'm going through this really stupid problem and Jesus and God don't understand and Jesus does understand. I think that's so amazing that we can remind ourselves of that. But here is people trying to provoke Jesus and I want us to look at what he did because that will be our example. The religious leaders were constantly trying to provoke Jesus to anger, trap him with their questions and make him look foolish to others. They could not. 
Now, can you imagine, first of all, this is God in the flesh. And the religious leaders who are supposed to be representing God are the very ones provoking him, trying to make him look foolish, agitating him. I mean, I think I would just kind of go and have them all disappear. I think I would be fed up with the whole thing. Jesus is love, though, and we look at 1 Corinthians 13.5, which is what we're studying that says that love is not easily provoked. So I wanted to look at these scriptures in John 8.2, verses 8.11. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded to us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest one first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You know, what I think is so neat about these scriptures is God never tells us what Jesus was doing. You know, sometimes people have said, I think, I've heard different people say, that they believe that Jesus was writing the names of the men, the religious leaders in the group, who had also committed adultery. You know, some people have that theory. Um, I don't know that he wasn't just scribbling in the sand. But what was he demonstrating to us in that? It's like he was demonstrating that he wasn't going to react in provoked anger. I bet you anything, because of the way that he taught us to do, he says for us to pray unceasingly and pray constantly, I think Jesus was buying time and praying. I think he was buying time and praying. And one of the things that we do when we get in the most trouble with our mouths is we answer too quickly. We haven't prayed. We haven't stopped and prayed. And I think that somehow, especially in our culture, we're taught to answer real quickly. Question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. And when it's a provoked situation or it's a you know, high-stress situation or a tense situation, I don't know that we should answer quickly, even with our children. Maybe we need to stop and allow ourselves to have that same time that Jesus did. I mean, he was in a situation where he was teaching all of these people, and this woman's caught in the middle of adultery, so she's probably not well clad at that point. And then here the religious leaders are accusing him, and he could have thought, in his own flesh, I suppose, I better answer quickly because they're going to think I don't know the answer. But instead, he needed to pray and check in with God. And when he did, what an incredible answer. Okay, those of you without sin, throw the first stone. 
Because if he had tried to answer the way that they wanted him to answer, they had him caught both ways, and that's what they were trying to do. They wanted him to answer, no, she shouldn't be stoned, and then they'd say, you're saying that the entire law of Moses is completely not true? You're not following the law of Moses? Or they wanted him to say, yes, that's what the law of Moses says, and then they'd go stoner. They wanted him to be trapped, and he wasn't trapped. And so often, so often we do feel trapped in our responses. I mean, I know most of you felt this way, but have you ever just even said to yourself or said out loud, I can't win. No matter what I say or what I do, I cannot win. (laughs) Yes, some of you have. But so what do we do? Sometimes we just, we react instead of letting God help us to make the next step. And instead of acting according to his will, we react. And that's a question I want to ask myself a lot because I know I've shared in you, with you before, I think fast, talk fast, respond quickly. And so many times, you know, I need to be more like Jesus and stop and pray. Instead of reacting, I need to act in the way that God would have me act. The book of James says the same thing. If you look down at your handout, it says, My dear brothers, take note of this. This is James 1.19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Well, don't you think that most of us do that backwards? I think that most of us, our creed is slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to get angry. You know, that really is more of our mode. Most of us. Some of us, not. But the Bible says for us to be quick to what? Listen. You know, when I get really in a big hurry and I get real, like, in my type A groove, which none of you in here has any idea what I'm talking about, but, you know, when you get into that kind of type A groove, and I can answer your question before you finish asking it. Because you don't need to finish for me to have already thought of an answer, and you may have not even gotten in your full question. You know, I need to be slower to listen and let you get finished before I answer. And then it says, okay, quick to listen, slow to what? And then slow to what? Isn't it interesting that James is basically saying, do what Jesus did. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James 1.20 says, for a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So, I think that's really good. Um, Number two lesson that we learned from Jesus. The number one lesson that we just talked about was to take your time and answer slowly. That's the number one lesson that we learned from Jesus. Take your time and answer slowly. And that doesn't mean that you always have to do that. I mean, truly. I mean, you, you all, this is all in balance. It doesn't mean that every time your child asks you something, you have to, like, get a stick out and do something in the sand and pray or, you know, we'll drive people crazy if we do stuff like that. But just in the times where you're just not really sure how to answer or it's a provoked situation or a difficult thing, we need to take our time and answer slowly. Number two thing that Jesus taught us was to stay in control. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper, than one who takes a city. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, 
but a wise man keeps himself under control. What does a vent do? We're experiencing that right now. <laughs> but a vent controls how much air goes into a room. And so this isn't saying that someone isn't angry because none of us can decide right here, right now, that nothing is ever going to irritate us again. And we are going to just be like Jesus and walk out the store and just be holy. That's not going to work. Well, it might work if you lived completely by yourself and got daily massages and I don't know. But it's not going to work for any of us. And so this is saying, even though you might be angry, whether it's righteous anger or whether it's even not righteous anger, you know, even though you might be angry, it says a fool gives full vent. You know what that means? And a fool lets it all out. Full vent. But a wise man keeps himself under control. So Jesus, you know, since he was fully man, he probably was angry to think that they would try to trap him and humiliate him and try to make him look like a fool in front of all these people. He was angry that she, this woman, this child of God, was pulled in front of this group. You know he was angry. But it wouldn't have done any good. It wouldn't have helped for him to yell and scream at them because it would be proving their point. And sometimes when we blow up, it ends up proving the other person's point. It ends up not making God look good when we're Christians or believers. Then if we said nothing or if we stayed in control until we knew what God wanted us to say. How does Jesus stay in control? Let's look at the top of page 7. Mark 14.34 describes through 41. Describes the most difficult thing that anyone in the world has ever gone through and no one will ever go through it again only Jesus went through it but his time on the cross and yet he stays in control and we're going to look at how Mark 14:34 and I would like someone else to read and if you don't mind I'll come stand by you so the mic can pick up but I really like other voices would someone read that John 14:34 through 41 42 sorry through 42 Great. Thanks, Nancy. Do I need the mic, though? I think, you're, I think I'm good. Am I good? I'm probably My okay. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little, little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. Then he came back. He again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you willing? I mean, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And this is such an example that Jesus stays in control of his emotions by staying in constant conversation with God. He puts his trust and dependence on God, not others. And that's such a tidy little way that I summed it up. Let's get the picture here. Jesus is sweating blood. I mean, he knows 
that he is going to hurt physically like no man has ever hurt. Well, you think there, you think, well, gosh, you know, other people were crucified in those days, and that was the most painful death. So how, how could we say that Jesus suffered worse than any other man had ever suffered or ever will suffer? Why would I be able to say that? I know some of you know. Because he's taken on all our sins. He's taking on everything on the cross. He knows he's about to. This is right before he is crucified. And he knows that he is about to take on the sins of every human being in the world, including us. He knows. And so it's not in it's not just that he's experiencing the excruciating physical pain, which someone told me the other day, I think they taught it in BSF, that excruciating means outside the cross. Excruciating, X outside, cruci coming from cross. I thought that was interesting. But it's not that he's experiencing that only physically, but that he is also taking on every sin from everyone. You know, the, the deep results of sin in people's lives, the depravity of sin. I mean, think of the worst sin you can think of, you know, child molester, mass murderer, all of that. Jesus is taking on that sin and the results of sin. And that is just why the Bible says that his face was marred more than any man. It wasn't just that he was crucified. It was that he was taking on everything. And you all, when people are in deep sin, when they are in deep trouble, it changes their countenance, it changes their face, it changes their outlook. And so this is someone who knows he's going to the cross. His soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death because his very people, the Jewish people, are the ones that are wanting him crucified. It's not the government. It's not the government. Pontius Pilate kept saying, don't you want to take Barabbas? I don't want to do this. And Pilate's wife said, I had a bad dream. Don't crucify this guy. It's not the Romans. It's the religious people. So he's been betrayed by one of his own people. And the Jews are going to kill him. He knows he's going to suffer. He knows his father could deliver him. He belongs in heaven. One word and myriads of angels could come down. And so what worse of a position than one that you could actually change? I always think about that. Couldn't Christ have changed his mind? Have you ever thought about that? He wasn't a robot. He was fully God and fully man. But couldn't he have changed his mind? How could he be tempted in all ways if he couldn't change his mind? I mean, couldn't he have said, enough of these people. Enough, God. They have belittled me, betrayed me, even my closest followers who I've given everything to. One of them is the one that sold me for 40 pieces of silver and even my closest ones keep falling asleep. They can't even pray. Enough. And yet he didn't change his mind. And I always think about that. Sometimes I want to thank God. Thank you, Jesus, for not changing your mind. Thank you, Jesus, for seeing my face and all of your faces, you know, 2,000 years later and saying that we're worth it, you know, worth that agony. But here he is. How does he not go into complete hysterics? How does he not go into complete mourning? How does he not, when he talks to um, 
you know, Peter, for instance, how does he not get mad at him? Like, can't you even stay away? I mean, how does he stay calm and yet truthful? And I know the answer to that is he is constantly communing with the Father. You know, there are times when, in a much lesser degree, our flesh, meaning what we want to do or what what maybe we know may not be of God, but it's just something that we want to do, maybe it's to go ahead and, you know, yell back at our spouse when we can hear the Holy Spirit saying, no, no, don't have the last word, don't say anything, let the door close, you don't have to be right. And we've laughed in here before about how we override that so many times, and we, we act like my my uh, dog does and his idea of life is if you can get out of the fence and do what you want to do any punishment is worth it (laughs) and we act the same way it's God I'll ask for forgiveness later whatever repercussions that's fine I will mourn later but I'm gonna go ahead and scream and so how do we when our flesh is being crucified how do we stay in control how do we stay in control constant communing with the father praying praying with him and having that kind of relationship where the Holy Spirit can speak to us and we can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do it. Because we will all go through times where times are tough. And if you don't have God in a constant communion with him and let him be in control, you're going to lose control. And lots of times when it has to do with our children, and praying and supporting them, maybe they're going through something that's very difficult, you can't lose control. You have to be in constant communion with the Father. Jesus taught us that. Number three, silence is golden. And we'll stop after this. But Luke 23, 8 through 11. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been waiting to see him. From what he'd heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. So Herod kind of sees Jesus as kind of the circus guy. He just kind of wants to see him perform. So Herod plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. So here's the leader of the land. Is Jesus impressed by him? No. Gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressed him in an elegant robe, and sent him back to Pilate. Jesus gave them no answer. Sometimes silent is golden. You know, it's it, in in speaking with God, he realized there's nothing that God is prompting me to say. And there's sometimes when no answer is the best answer. They were there provoking him and and wanting him to perform and accusing him and you can just see that it was just it was a circus basically and Jesus didn't perform. He gave them no answer. Isaiah 53, 7 says, Jesus was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears in is silent. So he did not open his mouth. You know, sometimes when we're going through things or we're confused and don't even know what we think, I've found sometimes it's better that we just don't say anything. You know? I mean, can you imagine all the things that Jesus could have said? But he wasn't. Not only had not God not prompted him to say anything, but maybe, you know, sometimes when we're going through stuff, it causes us and prompts us to speak things that are not of God and not of faith. And sometimes it's better for us to just not say anything. So silence is golden. 
Um, if you open up the um, handout that we're finishing, we're finishing Love is Not Easily Angered. And go ahead and open up to page 7. And we're going to start where we left off. So we'll only be doing this for about 5 or 10 minutes. And then we're going to move on to our last of our love teachings, which is Love Keeps No Records of Wrongs. And then we're through with love. Doesn't that sound funny to say? <laughs> Bissy said, no, we're not. Yeah, we covered it. It's done. We can move on. And you know what? That brings up such a good point. Sometimes we feel that way in church. You know, we feel like, oh, I've heard that. I don't need to hear that again. But we do. We need to be reminded all the time of the same things over and over again. That's what we see in the Bible that, do you ever read, especially the Old Testament, you think, why do these people not learn? They are not learning. They're being punished because they're not learning. And then I think, well, gosh, that's just like us. We need to be constantly reminded or we can so easily slip back into old patterns or patterns that maybe everyone around us is doing and not doing what what God would have us do. And then we don't have the abundant joy and we feel distant from God and wonder why. So it's always good to be reminded. We left off on um, love is not easily angered and ways to um, stay in control of anger in ways that Jesus taught us in particular. Um, lessons learned from Jesus. And we left off on number um, four. And I wanted to ask you if I told you one joke because I thought it was really funny. It said that, um, did I tell you the joke of what happens when you cross a pit bull with a collie? No? Because this reminds me so much of <laughs> Christians sometimes. Ah, that's us. What happens when you cross a pit bull with a collie? You get a dog who will bite you and then go run for help. <laughs> Do you know anyone? No, I'm not going to ask that. Okay. So, one of the ways that we can follow the way that Jesus taught us to not live in a life of, of anger is in Luke 12, 11 and 2. If you look at the bottom of your handout, this is what the Word tells us. When, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you should say. And sometimes we read these scriptures and we think, well, you know, I don't think I'm going to be brought before the synagogues, the rulers, or the authorities, so I don't really need to know that scripture. But we do, because what this is saying to us is when you're in a situation that's heated or where you have to defend yourself or defend God or you have to explain something or communicate or articulate, and it's a big deal, don't. Think about ahead what you're going to say and worry about it. Pray and the Holy Spirit will guide you. And I just wonder how many of you have been in a situation where you knew you're going to have a heated conversation with someone and you rehearsed for weeks what you're going to say. You even did it in front of people, especially your spouse. Isn't it fun when you can go, well... When he says, no, 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 I'm going to say, no, 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 no. And then he, I know him so well, he's going to say, no, 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 no. And so when he does, I'm going to go, no, no, no. And your wife goes, oh, that's good. Well, what if you also said, no, no, no. True. Okay. When he does, no, 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 I'm going to say, no, 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 no. And I know him. I know what he's going to do. He's going to, no, 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 no. And you've got this whole thing. We're, we do it with our children. We do it with our spouses. We're constantly rehearsing. And sometimes we set ourselves up to be continually angry. We set ourselves up to keep the strife going. We set ourselves up. Instead, the Holy Spirit's going, I have the solution. 
You're like, okay, thank you. I'll pray and repent later. And that's what we do. So we need to know that we shouldn't be rehearsing. We should be praying. Raise your hand if you're a big rehearser. I'm going to get you a t-shirt that says, no, 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 no. And then number five, this is really going to launch us into this next teaching. This is so good. We are to love deeply. We are to love deeply with all that we have. I mean, it's almost like, not almost like, that really should be our biggest goal each day. Not to get the house organized or not to finally pay the bills or not to finally switch insurance companies or not to finally get that, you know, stock taken care of or whatever it is. Our main goal should be to love deeply, love God deeply, love our kids deeply. And we can be really shallow lovers. We love them deeply with our hearts, but our actions are shallow. And so one of our biggest things that we could be praying that's pretty exciting prayer is to love deeply. In all of his suffering and agony and betrayal, how did Jesus fully man? Because we forget that. He's fully God, but he was fully man. And I think we try to sort of forget that instead of realizing he had every emotion and feeling of a man and yet was without sin. In all of his suffering and agony and betrayal, how did Jesus, fully man, keep from being angry while suffering on the cross? It must have hurt him deeply when he was deserted by some of his dearest followers. Peter, you know, the one, all of his closest disciples kept falling asleep and Peter denied him and the Lord knew it. So he was deserted by everyone. You know, I even think that if I was Jesus, even in walking to the cross, even in facing all of that, I'd be going, where did I go wrong with Judas? You know, how did, I mean, I taught him the same thing as everyone else. Where did I go wrong? And we mull over things and it makes us angrier. I wrote here that most of us would mull over what made Judas make such an evil choice. How did Jesus overcome feelings of anger? And I really honestly believe the answer to that is he loved deeply. He loved so deeply that it overcame his human feelings of anger and betrayal and desertion. First Peter 4.8 says, Above all, and we've got to pay attention to those words in the Bible, all, above all. That means above everything. Love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. That's one of my favorite scriptures. That is so packed that I could go off for the next 30 minutes and just talk on that. That is one of my favorite scriptures. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply. For love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers. Love always covers. When Adam and Eve first sinned, they were naked in their own eyes before the Lord, and he covered them. And the blood of Jesus covers our sins. Love always covers. And God's been teaching me so much about that because our human nature wants to reveal. We want to repeat. We want to uncover the nakedness of others. Even if it's just between you and me, I might want to just go, whoop! See what you did? You're naked. <laughs> Instead of letting love cover, love covers a multitude of sins. Uncovering is when someone says they're sorry for something that happened and you say, oh, it's okay, it's fine, and you go to lunch with your favorite friend and uncover. Love covers. 
Jesus was constantly loving deeply and deep love covers. Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. The love of Jesus covered our sins and the blood of Jesus covered all of our wrongs. And we have a God who tells us in his word that after Jesus has covered our sins, that he does not even remember them. He chooses not to remember them. That is awesome. And we need to be making those choices. And that's what we're going to be talking about on the next teaching, which I can't wait. Okay, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 23. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. You know, this, this scripture I used to read to kids who were um, in the... Um, Basically, it was an orphanage. It was a state-run facility where I did a Bible study for several years. And most of their forefathers were criminals and in the pen and had terrible background. And they just felt like, you know, this is what's overshadowing me. And here I could read straight from God's mouth. You are redeemed from that. You do not have that as your forefathers. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, even our own empty way of life, even my own empty way of life that I've chosen in the past. I'm redeemed. It's covered. It's forgiven. It's forgotten. And as a Christian, I need to do no less for someone else. We shouldn't have a stigma on someone who's covered with the blood of Jesus. It should be covered and remain covered. And that means... We don't talk about it. It's gone. Because we want that. I want that. If I did something completely wrong in this class and asked for your forgiveness, I would so want you to forgive me, but I'd really want you to not ever say anything about it again to anyone. And that's what God calls us to do. Wouldn't that be awesome if we all did that? It would. Wouldn't our kids be shocked? (laughs) <laughs> I've told you once I've told you a thousand times six years ago at the same place you did it and two months ago and three years and your kid's like I can't remember that far back mom <laughs> we are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. You know, that kind of love puts itself out. That kind of love is the love that loves so deeply it hurts. For you have been born again, not with perishable seed, but with imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. God's word is so awesome and so true. And if we could even love but an inkling the way that God loves, oh my gosh, this world would be turned upside down. Our families would be turned upside down. Our communities would be turned upside down. And I believe that that is happening. I really do. Let us pray. Dear Jesus. We just ask you to clear our minds this morning of so many things, Lord. Just so many concerns that we might have or even a to-do list that's just 
impossible without you. Father, I just ask that you would remind us that all things are possible through you, that you have not given us a spirit of fear even about the things coming to us or to our children, but a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you do have a good plan for us in our life, as it says in Jeremiah 29.11. And, Father, that we can trust you and rely on you and lean on you and have confidence in you. Father, we just lift up to you all of the things that perhaps we are silent about this morning. God, the things that might be between us and our family or the things that might simply be between us and you. Lord, we ask for you to be our provider, our Jehovah Jireh, that you would provide those things that that we need and provide to us so that we might give to others and give to your kingdom. Father, we ask that you would be our healer, Lord Jesus, our Jehovah Rapha, that you would heal every part of us, body, soul, and spirit that needs to be healed and also that of our family. God, we ask this morning, more than anything, that we would glorify you in our lives. Please teach us and shape us and help us to depend on your inerrant word so that our lives can be glorified to you, that you would be just magnified in our lives, Lord Jesus. And we ask that you would do that even today, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you decide to shine from imperfect vessels, each one of us, and that we'll never be good enough, (laughs) never, but Christ is good enough, and he is within each one of us. And we just ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed Kathleen's message. To order a copy of this and other messages, please call us in San Antonio, Texas at 210-822-5500 or toll free outside the San Antonio area, 877-397-7773. That's 1-877-397-7773. Visit our website, KathleenWitten.org, K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N-W-H-I-T-T-E-N.org. Thank you.